What's up? My name is Alex Terranova. I am the host of the Dream Mason podcast. Welcome. We started this in 2017 because we wanted to highlight the journey of Dream Masons. There's a Dream Mason in all of us. A Dream Mason is someone who is awake to their dreams and driven by the passion, the purpose, and the desire to turn that dream into reality. We interview athletes, gold medalists, Super Bowl champions, artists, creatives, eight, nine-figure entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, and everyone in between. And sometimes we even walk them through challenges that they're currently facing. So depending on whether you're catching this as a regular interview or a playing with problems segment, there is something for you, whether you're at the peak of your journey, at the low point of your journey. I look forward to having you join me on this journey. And I hope that this show helps you unleash your inner Dream Mason. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. Today is the, the first of hopefully uh, some podcasts I'm going to get to do with men who I met at a retreat, which is really cool. I didn't expect to have that lead to this, but you know, if, if you listen to this podcast, I've shared, I actually interviewed the other day, which I think will come out before this episode, the, the founder of the retreat and the guy who led us through this work. And him and I had a conversation about men's work, but I went on a retreat. If you don't, let me catch you up. If you don't listen or you don't listen regularly in January, I went on a men's retreat, not my own, but one that uh, was hosted in Austin, a company called Junto. Um, it was incredible. It was a, it was a fantastic retreat and it was actually the first retreat and first men's retreat I've ever gone on that wasn't my own. So if you've been listening to this show for a long time and you know me, uh, I've probably talked about things like I hate camps. I hate like organized that like structure. We don't have the freedom when I travel, I don't want activities all planned. I kind of want to explore and go on my own. So there's a part of me that always avoided these types of things because I didn't want to get stuck somewhere and be not having a good time. But I was really glad that I put myself out of my comfort zone. When on this retreat, I learned a ton about myself. I learned a ton about men. Um, and I think the best part was the community that got created. I got to meet men that I likely wouldn't have met otherwise. They're, they're guys that I felt like I have a lot of, I have a lot in common with, but we didn't, wouldn't have necessarily run in the same circles uh, just naturally. And I, I think that was the thing that blew me away the most that you had like, let's say 12 or 13 guys from all different walks of life, from all different parts of the country, many of which had moved to Austin because that's where the retreat was. But we all had so many overlapping things from our challenges, our struggles, our desires, our goals, and the, and the boxes we place ourselves in. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, my guest today, but I, I want to share one thing about him before I, before I uh, introduce him. I believe at every single men's retreat, and, I, and I'm only going to say men's retreats uh, and not speak about other retreats because I have no idea what happens at other types of retreats, but I have a, a strong belief that at every men's retreat, there is a moment where one of the men, and typically it's one of the men who would be typically perceived as stronger, more masculine, breaks. And when I say breaks, I mean the outer shell, the the like protective, hard, uh, tough, strong, like stuff your feelings down, like those kind of like classical Marlboro man type um, masculine traits crack open. 
And when that happens, I believe that's when the retreat really starts or that's when the, like, it could be in a men's group, but that's when the magic starts happening. Because when that man cracks, not only does he open up, but it gives permission for all the other men to open up. And I've seen it at retreats I've led. I've seen it in men's group. I saw it on, on in this experience. And it, it's it like, ha you don't know when it's going to happen. You can't predict it. You can't try to create it. But when it happens, it's kind of like, okay, now we're, now we're really playing. Now we're really in. And the man you're about to meet is the man who I think had that moment for us that really got the retreat kicked off for us to really become who we, to, to, to really like open up our bulletproof vests, like take off our armor and show who we were. And I was sitting a few seats over from him and, and it doesn't even matter what we were talking about because I don't even remember. It wasn't even about that, but he was sharing and all of a sudden you could just see the protection come down and the tears and the emotions and the feelings and the humanity. And he also was probably one of the larger men in terms of stature, size, like big guy. And also a guy who I would equate to as, as men, we, we size each other up financially. You know, he's a guy who showed up in a really nice car. It seemed like he was really doing well financially. So we had all these things that like we use as men to size each other up, right? The size, the money. And yet he let his armor down and get cracked open. And that was the moment that I think this retreat really became outstanding um, because he had the courage to let that happen. And, um, I noticed it and I was super grateful for it. And I think the other men really realized it too. And it allowed them to show their hearts and their feelings and their desires. So I'm really grateful to him for that. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Um, he is, oh man, I just lost, where did my, oh man, this is so bad. I'm being such an amateur right now. There it is. Okay. He is a former D1 athlete. He actually played for Cal. He played football at Cal. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's currently the founder and CEO of Tin Rose, which is making IT and security easy to access for millions of SMBs around the country. He spent 10 years building businesses, focusing on automation of back office in infrastructure. I don't even know what some of this stuff is. It's like very, very techie and business side, but um, they're pioneering, Tin Rose is pioneering a new age of digital transformation solutions. Prior to starting Tin Rose, he was on the founding team of Electric AI, which is leading IT, a leading IT automation company in the US for small and medium-sized businesses valued at a billion dollars plus. Bill Tyndall, how you doing, man? Thanks for being here. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for um, thanks for being willing to be on. And and again, thanks for being the guy who who let us kind of see a man's heart at the retreat first. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate I appreciate that the intro. And I think that one of the reasons why I'm really excited to be on is um there's such a there's such a lack of more or less letting that armor down in anything that we do as people today, especially as men in this culture, especially as entrepreneurs. Like it was I was grateful to be a part of of that group and Excited to, to chat a little bit about our, our experience and, and life today. Do you remember that? Like, can you, do you remember that moment? And 
do you remember it enough so to like what was happening for you that allowed you to be like, wait, I'm going to let myself go here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to push this feeling down or like tamper this. Yeah. You know, it's, I do. I remember it very vividly. Um, and what the internal dialogue, so to say, that goes on in those moments and, and being a former athlete and an entrepreneur, like every, I was conditioned growing up to not acknowledge emotions in any way. You know, I, I equate a, a rule, so to say, in my, in my life up until more recently, emotions or weakness and weakness is exploited. And as a result, whether it's on the football field or whether it's in business, I had this idea that if I let people know who I was, they would love me or they wouldn't respect me or they wouldn't want to work for me or whatever it might be. And uh, the last couple of years have been like a, a very large personal journey. And I'm excited to like talk through some of those things today that really jumpstarted it. But to me, it really came down to realizing that I spent so much of my life boxing Bill into this cavity, so to say, in my chest, in this little black box, and pretty much what I would describe as living in my head, living in my feet, either being really tactical about it or sprinting as fast as I can at something. And, and I lost myself for a very long time. And when I finally found it, and I remembered how beautiful that that person was, I do everything in my power now to, to keep myself coming back to that, which is why I went to the men's retreat in the first place. So yeah, it was knowing that it's not doing me justice to try to box that, that little bill inside and how beautiful it is to allow it. And even though it's terrifying doing that in a group of men, when, as you were saying, everyone's sizing each other up, sometimes you just got to say like, I, I just got to be me and let that out. And that was a, that was a great opportunity to do it. You, well, actually, let me go a different direction really quick. You chose to like let what, as you called like little Bill out of the box um, and put yourself in a retreat. Most men don't, right? Most men are, um, you know, like existing in the jobs they, whether they make, whether they're doing well financially or not, they're in, existing in jobs they don't love. They're in mediocre relationships. They're not chasing their passions. They're using booze, porn, sex, drugs, um, sports, you know, Netflix to, to kind of dull or, or give them any sort of excitement. What do you think made you like actually be like, wait, I got to get out of whatever it was and like step into, right? Like, yeah. like, why did you choose to step into like bettering yourself? Because you could have just stayed whatever with whatever was going on. Yeah. So I, I actually have one really profound um, experience that I think embodies this pretty well. And it was, it was a few years ago. Uh, and I don't know if we care about promotional stuff on here or not, but a few years ago, I, uh, I had started my, my self journey, like in, in my last business, like I was super stressed, full of anxiety, stomach ulcers, mouth ulcers, and I, I didn't realize that I was slowly killing myself. Um, I never asked for help. I didn't have, an, I wasn't in tune with my emotions at all. On the outside, everything looked super calm. 
But the, the analogy that I really love is like my life was like a duck. On top, it looks really beautiful and peaceful, but under underneath, it's kicking its feet like a maniac. And uh, and it was interesting. So I uh, so a good friend of mine is a guy named Dylan Bynan, and he has a company called Mind Bloom, which is which is ketamine therapy. And so I ended up chatting with Dylan. I had been after my last company, I had been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which I just thought was my competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we were talking and he started telling me about ketamine therapy for post-traumatic stress for vets, for depression, anxiety, and all these things. And, and I decided to try it. And in the very first experience that I had, it was this little caricature working, more or less walking his way down this path. And he was made of this really soft, uh, soft material. Think about like corduroy. And continuously things would happen in this, in this journey for this little character, um, he would get left behind and I, this little character would be feeling all kinds of fear. Oh my gosh, like people are leaving me, sadness, anger. And then all of a sudden it'd get wiped out and, uh, the character would reappear, but he'd be slightly harder every single time. And eventually through a series of these things, the character ended up as a porcelain character inside of a porcelain room and it looked beautiful. But I was looking at, I was looking at this porcelain character and uh, and it almost looked like a cake topper with a man and a woman just looked perfect. But I had so much anxiety about it because as you know, porcelain is really fragile. And I came to realize in that moment that like, that was my life. Like I had built this, this vision of what success or what goodness or whatever it might look, the the perfect family, all these things, what that looked like. But the reality was, is I was, I was stuck in this facade, so to say, and no true emotion was there. It was dead and cold. And I realized in that moment, my God, I have tightened myself so much that I'm no longer living in what I'd consider to be like an area where I can find joy. Everything was just stress around maintaining this perfect image. And in that moment, it all started to shatter and more or less turned into this big, beautiful organic forest. And I, and I realized at that moment that like, that is the problem in itself is when we start to shut down more or less our emotions and we don't give that credit. Um, like that's where the issue comes. And as soon as that happened and as soon as that shattered, I ended up on a beach with my childhood self, just mm-hmm. like, just together. Yeah. And it was the first time in probably seven or eight years that I had experienced that level of joy. And like that kickstarted my journey for focusing on presence, figuring out good, bad, and the ugly of emotions, like what's going on with me. Because as I'm connected with that, I it comes... Turns out that when you're more connected with your emotions and you live authentically, you're actually better at everything else that you do. I'm a better dad. I'm a better father or I'm a better husband. I'm a better businessman. Like getting rid of all of the facade and the inauthenticity or the posturing and just letting letting myself be me has really changed my life in a lot of ways. There's so much. First, I love the visual of the duck. It's great. 
um also the i love at the end that pointed piece about like hey it makes us better at everything we do and i completely agree with you now my life wasn't like yours but it was a there was a facade it was more like rebellious bad boy facade but i wasn't happy right so it it was and it was devoid of human connection real human connection and emotion and the thing was if anyone saw me what was really there then I wouldn't be loved or liked, but when people actually see who I am, I am loved and liked, right? Like I actually get the thing that I actually want when I like put all that facade down Um, and I'm happy, right? It actually works the opposite way. Um, So from, from your opinion, how do we get, and this isn't what you do for a living. I'm just curious your thoughts, but like, how do we get more men to be willing to take journeys, like a journey like you've taken? Well, I think it starts with talking about it and normalizing it. Um, We've seen there's been a lot of movements towards that recently, but at the end of the day, it comes down to having safe spaces where we're no longer criticizing and saying like men don't cry and, and these things. The reality is like, I do cry. Like I get, I get emotional even thinking about back to that story that we were just talking about. And like, that's a beautiful thing. Emotions are real and emotions are, that is what makes us humans. Like we are not, as uh, as one of my mentors and good friends says, like we are not human doings, we are human beings. And uh, and I think creating safe spaces for people to talk about stuff like this and, and you doing this podcast is like a great step towards that. But a lot of it comes down to just normalizing that men have feelings too. And then it's important to express those. And by expressing them, we can make ourselves better at whatever it is we're trying to achieve. So do you, when you're with like your, you know, your guy friends now, when you're with, you know, men that work with you or for you, do you, is there, are there ways that you try to blend to like bring this into your work? Because corporate work, professional work doesn't always actually provide the space for this, right? We like, especially in America, we've done a lot to like, be like feelings don't belong in the workspace. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it really quickly on personal and then professional. The reality is, is it's the same. Um, but very similar to that men's retreat. Like I, so many times when a bunch of men get together, it's, it's the sizing, you know, it's the size up. It's, well, I'm doing really well right now. But I'll just go in, guns blazing, like like I did at the men's retreat. And I'll just lay it out and say, hey, I'm actually not doing really well right now. Like, I'm really stressed. I just got, I had this thing at work that I thought was going to go through and it didn't. And like, I'm really scared right now. Or I'm really angry about this. And I just normalizing the feelings, very similar to, to at the retreat, like allows other people to get out of this superficial relationship that that we maintain both personally and professionally and so in work as a great example at the at my last company when you used to ask me how i was doing in the morning i'd say i'm living the dream one day at a time and i said that whether i was just got out of a fight with my wife i was stressed (laughs) i didn't get any sleep the night before or i was having the best day ever it was always the same answer and like, I now realize that that's actually super inauthentic to do. Like, I thought that I was doing something 
that was inspiring them. But really, and what I've come to learn now through being authentic and being willing to say like, hey, you know, I'm actually not doing really well right now. Like I'm very angry about this thing or I'm stressed or I don't know what I'm going to do here. It allows you to have an authentic relationship with the people around you. And what that allows is it creates a safer environment for, in my opinion, creativity, for taking ownership. And rather than this person sitting and trying to figure out, well, how am I stressed right now? And how is Bill not stressed? Like, am I crazy? <laughs> it opens up an avenue for people to be able to say, hey, like, I, I am feeling that too. And that's connection. Like, that's what, that's what this world is all about is what I've come to realize. It's not... It's not just pulling things forward, but it's about how do you inspire people to be their best selves and how do you inspire connection? Man, I, you just took me to like multiple conversations with men in my life who, the one specifically, who every single time I'm like, how are you, man? Living the dream. Um, and I've never even thought about it like that, right? It's just like what he says. Um, and I've tried to practice like for a while now that I am really good right? Like overall my life, like on the overall, my life is really good. And then sharing, you know, that's the thing I struggle with. And I don't know if you can relate to this is, you know, before we hopped on here, we were talking about, I'm getting married. There's like stresses around evolving. My business is evolving, the alchemy of men, all these different things. And there's stress that I, that, that is new and scary. And you were sharing some things with me. And when I pause for a moment, I'm still really good, right? Like I have a beautiful, amazing partner. I have an amazing, safe, cozy, nice house, right? We have all the food we need. We have all the safety and comforts, right? We could be living in many different parts of the world where we wouldn't be able to say that. And I also am stressed out. I'm also worried about some things. I'm also like, um, you know, feeling, feeling fearful. And I think for me, like, I don't know if it's helpful or not. I haven't really got figured that out yet to exist them both that exist at the same time. Cause it feels to me like if I'm only sharing like those, that experience, I'm also like missing that, Hey, I do have a really great life. Right. At the same time. Um, and being grateful for, for the things that are good. Yeah. Well, so I think something that's really interesting is we, and so I'll, there's a there's an interesting counterexample to that as well. And it's in a lot of ways, it's considered minimalizing our emotions. Like is my life is significantly better than from just a, a quality of living, my sure. access to healthcare, et cetera, than a lot of people around the world. And as a result, like it's really easy for me to say, well, well, my problems don't matter. Like yeah. I shouldn't be complaining about this. I shouldn't be stressed. I shouldn't be angry. And therefore, like, I shouldn't talk about this because I feel I am guilt. I am shaming myself over my emotions versus accepting that, like, hey, I, whether or not it is rational, like, I am feeling scared right now, or I am feeling sad, I am feeling angry. And the reality is, is um, going back to this concept of gratitude, like, something that I've really leaned into over the last couple of years and more recently, this last year specifically is not just having gratitude for the good things going on in my life, but also figuring out how to have gratitude for the really hard stuff. Like un the unfortunate reality of the world is that oftentimes our largest growth opportunities come from our worst moments. And that worst moment could be the death of a sibling or getting a parking ticket. 
Yeah. You know, like it can be dramatically different, but there is growth to happen in those moments for us. And figuring out, even though I feel sadness or I feel anger about those, I have just as much gratitude for that as the big wins that I have. And I think that that really changes the dynamic of how I look at it. And I work to not minimize any of those feelings anymore. Like they all have equal representation um, in terms of importance in, in my world. Do you, let's take you back. Let's, let's back us up a little bit. You know, you, I shared with people that you started, you didn't start, but your, the journey that I introduced you, like your bio is like, you were a D1 athlete, right? You, you went to, you went to Cal and played football there. Let's take, go back to that. What it, and let's talk about masculinity through that lens. What is masculinity through the lens of a college football player? Man, that's a really good question. Um, and I think it's, I, I try not to assume anything anymore. So I'll, I'll go back and call it exactly just what it is. It's uh, emotions are weak, whether it's happiness, sadness, fear. Um, there's a lot of not acknowledging that. It's just be a man, do what you got to do and make it happen. I, uh, the amount of times I, I generally as a kid was re a really happy kid. Like we, we, earlier we were talking about this idea of exploration and, and play and, and being connected. I feel like I lost that when I became an athlete. I, uh, I lived in my brother's shadow as an athlete for most of my childhood. He was the silver surfer of human beings. This guy is in his in his prime was 240 pounds, 3% body fat. If you can imagine what that looks like. Also ended up playing, he was older than me, D1 athlete. And I was always the fat, tubby, tall kid. And everyone would just always say like, why aren't you more like your brother? You know? And my emotions really started shutting down at that time. And then getting into collegiate sports where you're now one of 3% of high school athletes that make it onto that level. Like you're now in the next level, which are the big leagues. And at that point, emotions are like non-existent, you know, other than outbursts of, of anger, it's all about focus, steadiness, being consistent across what's going on. And, uh, and that was like, that was when my box really started to form um, and pull, it pulled me much more into this technical place, pulling out fear and anger and all these, these feelings. But yeah, I mean, masculinity to just sum it up is like the ability to just shut down everything other than what I believe my responsibility is at this moment. Nothing else matters. And if you can do that, like that's discipline, that's, that's being a man, so to say. When you think back to that way of experiencing masculinity, which I would totally agree with, right? And even not as a, even not as a college athlete, like I can, all of that feels relevant or, re or resonant of my experience of like growing up, like high school, college as a man. What do you think the consequences were in, at that age? Like what were the consequences you saw, you know, yourself or other guys going through like on the football field or in life? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of consequences. Um, I would say that the biggest 
the biggest consequences that I had were one, when you start to shut down your emotions, it ends up manifesting itself in a lot of ways, whether for some people, as you were saying, it's, it's drinking too much, it's drugs, it's sex, it's all these different, it's all these different categories. The reality is, is, um, people who shut off their emotions, figure out how to cope in different ways, whether it's bearing yourself in work, being willing to work a 20 hour work or 20 hour work day, getting four hours of sleep, getting back to the office, like when we are not connected with ourselves and we're, we're not able to ask for help or we're not able to access our emotions. Like it, it, it creates a variety of different, like what I, I like to think of them as like volcano eruptions, mm. these moments where you just, you have a blow up. Like for me as an example, stomach ulcers, mouth ulcers, working too much, all these different things. Like those are permeations of the inability to access emotions and live authentically within yourself. It comes into stress, anxiety, depression. And, and those are negative side effects that come from the rejection of emotions over time. Yeah, that really resonates. Like earthquakes, volcanoes, it's like the building up of pressure. Yeah. Right. So we keep we keep pushing our feelings, our emotions down and even the happy ones. Right. We're not even saying these are not all bad. It's just all of them. Any sensation that's not like a flat, steady line, yeah. we squash down and like the earth. Right. Eventually, there's enough tension that it has to erupt and it can erupt. I love that you put it like in all sorts of ways. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a like a, a yelling. It can it can erupt in an addiction, it can erupt in a behavior pattern, it can erupt in um, self-sabotage, so many, so many things. Um, hmm. Yeah. And just, just on that for a second, because this is, this, this really, this speaks to me right now and just having us talk about this, but all of this leads to the inability, at least for me, the inability to feel, as you said, happiness, I, I call it the inability to feel joy. Like I went probably six, seven years with when I tell people is joy being a fleeting concept. It didn't matter if we were raising a ton of money, we had just made this big, this big release, whatever it might be. None of it mattered because I wasn't able to experience happiness or the fear. It was just always the next thing. And when you're unable to sit with those emotions for more than a couple of seconds, yeah. It just sucks the life out of all of it and just turns it back into this uh, this porcelain room that's just void of of joy. And that's that makes me really sad to think about it being a reality for me for a long time and for so many other people. Yeah, it's another really good metaphor that it's it looks so it's like so um it looks so perfect. It's on point. All the details are covered. It's pretty. It's glossy. It's shiny. And to your point, you know, my mom had a lot of porcelain things around our house when we were kids, and they all were destroyed because it didn't take much for me and my little brother to throw a ball and knock one off, right? And they was just shatter. And I think that that I really can see that that image. Um, you know, I'm, I feel really lucky when I, when I look back at my twenties, I did a lot of things to mass where right? I was drinking a lot, like a lot of sex, a lot of chasing women and, and buying things. 
And some of those things didn't have consequences, right? But like I did at times get myself in financial issues. I did at times get myself in issues with women. And I did do things behind the wheel that I should not have done. Luckily, the porcelain never shattered, right? Like luckily, like there, I don't have, um, you know, I, don't, I didn't have children that I like couldn't take care of, or I didn't get myself into a financial place that I couldn't get myself out of, or I didn't get like, you know, maybe a disease or, um, or even like hit somebody with my car, right? Like do something that like would have impacted somebody else or give someone something, right? Like all these different things. To me, those are ways that the porcelain would have shattered. Um, I think I got really lucky to have a moment where I was like, whoa, right? Similar to like, you realized, you realized that to an extent you're like, well, I gotta get out of this room. I gotta like take this apart and not be in this space. My, you know, I think my hope in doing these podcasts with men and talking about these things is that men can realize it before it's before it is too late before they do blow up their life before they do erupt before something happens that they can't walk back um and i don't think i think you're doing a great job of talking about how it doesn't have you don't have to blow up your life to have to come back right just the stress the anxiety maybe you're not the dad you want to be or the partner you want to be or even like to you, something I really appreciate about you is you've had all this success in like the capitalist world, capitalism world. And you could be like, that could be fine. But yet you're like, no, I can also, I can have that. And I can also like work on myself, which is what I really admire. Cause I think so many men think it's like one way or the other. I'm either like this badass provider or I can become like soft and like, know myself and take care of my family. And you're a really great representation of like, no, I can actually do all, I can do all of it and have all of it. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Uh, and I, we, we've spoken about this a few different times, but one of the, one thing that I want to say really quick is it's obviously amazing if, if people can, can come to these self-realizations before their life blows up, but also like if your life blows up, it's not over. Like that's just a part of your journey and recognizing that and embracing that and figuring out, well, what is, what am I supposed to learn from this? The reality is, is we're all, we're all in the middle of our stories right now. And the question that we always get to ask ourselves is when does it become a hero's journey? And for some people that's really early in life. Some people it's on their deathbed. But the question is, is like, when do we, when do we have that moment? It's different for everybody. And I think that that's such a beautiful piece that gave me hope as I was, as I was really early in my own, my own journey. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really big, but I think not letting it get there. And as we continue to normalize emotions, like that's being able to have a conversation like this about the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of what it means to be a, an athlete general masculinity, being, uh, being an entrepreneur, what a success. And for me, so much of that comes down to creating that realignment that we were talking about earlier. How, how do you, how do you take who you are as a person and an individual and your silliness and your quirkiness and, and how do you figure out how to tie that in with really healthy boundaries and authenticity to what you do for, for a living, so to say? Because when you can figure out how to pull those two things together, like you're no longer working, like you were living and you're aligned with your life mission. Mm -hmm. And like that's, that I think is one of the, the amazing outcomes of, of doing this type of work. It's if you're sitting there at home and you're thinking, 
man, like I hate my job or I'm feeling all this friction. It's like doing this work allows one to be able to, to get clarity on what makes them happy. And then once you understand what makes you happy, you can figure out how to incorporate that more into your light. Like that's what this is all about to me. Like how, how can I experience my life in presence, whether that's happiness or sadness and be grateful for it either way. And like, that's how I approach my, my daily life. That's how I approach my work. And at the end of the day, like that's inspiring. Like we were talking about the men's retreat. Like I'm not going to go as far to say that like my emotions inspired others to be emotional, but when you're able to, to be authentic like that, there's, there's an energy about that. That's amazing. And that translates into work and life. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they, if, if someone's emotions cause someone else to be, but what I notice with men is when that, when, when that man, when that first man, especially if he's a man that other men on the surface see masculinity in, it like sucks the life out of, it's not the life, it sucks the air out of the room. Everybody's like, right. If like the smallest, gentlest man is the one who opens up. I don't know that that makes a difference for the the men who lean whose energy is in more in the traditional masculinity because they're like oh like our our sizing up does what it does right we're not necessarily able to control that it's like part of it's like we're conditioned until we until we get really aware of it but when you know someone who embodies more masculine characteristics on the traditional side breaks cracks open it's it like I don't know how to say it, but it's almost like our uh, our masculinity is like gasps at like, wait, what's happening? Because that's not what it's supposed to look like. And right from from this from this purview of traditional masculinity, no. and I think that's what allows is it sucks that air out of the room, and then everyone's like sitting super present. And what happens when you're super present? Right now we're connected to what's happening inside of us, and we're not on the and the past or the future. So I think it makes whatever's present for us show up. Right. Um, so for some guys that becomes emotion for some guys, it's like, Oh my God, I identify with this for me as someone who does this for a living. I'm like looking at, I'm like, I'm like trying to play behind the scenes. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, there it is. There's that's the, how do we, how do we like get that moment? How do we navigate that moment? How do we have that happen more often? Uh, because I see the value in it. Yeah. Let me ask you about your relationship with your, you talked about your relationship with your brother a little bit. What was your relationship with your dad like when you were growing up? Ooh. Um, you know, I had a really interesting relationship with my dad. My dad was there for every single sporting event I ever had. We, uh, we went fishing on a regular basis. He taught us how to scuba dive. He was, he was always there. And, and that was so amazing in so many ways, like very philosophical talking about the world. Um, but you know, as I, as I've gotten older, it's really interesting how my relationship has changed with my dad, especially as, as I've started to really try to figure out my own emotions. And I realize that, and this is to no fault of his, because we all learn from our parents, all these things that you were saying, these things are embedded in us. But I, I came to realize that 
like my dad had never really talked to me about what it meant to like be a man, about masculinity, about emotions. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when uh, like his, when my grandmother, his mother passed when, when we were younger, like he refused to let us see him cry. And he went into a room and, and stayed there. Um, and it's interesting how that like permeates in, but I, uh, I have so much respect for him as a man, but I, I also recognize that like, there was a lot of friction for us over the last couple of years is like, I realized that I was missing a lot of tools from my own tool shed and it created some, some friction between us for a non-trivial amount of time, like over six months. Like we, we didn't really talk that much. And, uh, and I had a lot of anger and resentment towards this idea that like, man, like how could I not, how could you not teach me about happiness or sadness or, um, being willing to like be purely authentic all these times. And, and I realized uh, a good, a good friend of mine, we were sitting and we were talking about some of this and he reminded me that like, not everybody goes, not everybody once again goes on their hero's journey at the same time. Once again, some people it's their deathbed, some people it's from the beginning and uh, you just have to be able to meet people where they're at. And, and I struggled with that for a while when I was first getting into my own mindfulness journey, thinking, how could this person be so silly? Like, this is so clear that they're feeling angry right now. And I'd feel angry over their inability to access that Yeah. versus just being willing to accept it and say like, man, like it makes me sad to, to hear that you're not able to access that right now. And where does that come from for you? It's like I've gotten to talk to my dad a lot about his upbringing and uh, his relationship with emotion. It's really brought, brought us a lot closer, but it's like like a tide. It comes in and out at different times, you know. Um, but it's been a growth journey for us, for sure. Such a fun and scary and interesting thing to sit down with your dad and ask him questions about his life. And I would, I would assert that most men don't do that with their dads and that we know our dads to a, like, we know, you know, if there's a glass of water, we know maybe the top 10% of the water, that's our dad. And maybe some of us know a little bit more, but I don't think most of us know like that whole glass of water. I don't think we've asked the questions like how they were raised and how they felt about their parents and how they felt about their brothers and sisters and what was hard for them as a kid and what were they were afraid of and what they wanted most. Like what did they, what was their biggest dream when they were a kid? You know, where, when was their heart broken the first time? Um, what I was thinking about when you said that is like, we actually don't know our dads. Yeah. We know our, we, some of us know our moms more, but some moms are just like this. We don't know them either. We know them as our mom. And that's what we know them as, right? Or we know our dad as our dad, but we don't know. And even like the emotional thing, you know, my dad did anger really well, <laughs> really good at anger. Um, and he, and we did see him cry. My dad was like such a sucker for like a sad movie, you know, like, but it was always like that, right? We'd see my dad crying, like watching a movie. We'd see my dad cry at like maybe like a funeral, something like that. But so it was like tears were acceptable at these certain moments 
but nothing was ever talked about. And, you know, I've had a similar experience with my dad, which is we were actually more disconnected. And as we've gotten, as I've gotten older, I've been like getting us more connected, right? Bringing us back together, asking the questions like we're saying, um, feeling like I know him more than he, than I used to. And also at how much that helps me with how he was as a dad for me, right? When I hear about his childhood and then I'm like, oh man, no one ever taught him. He never learned, he never learned. You know, and like I'm mad at him for being a certain way or not being a certain way. And then you hear about their life and you're like, whoa, that's not fair. That's that's kind of messed up of me. Um, I think it's one of the. I have a um, I have a I have a goal in in a, in a to a degree to to do some work with men and their fathers, like bring them together. And um, but it's scary, especially I invited my dad to my first retreat that I led and he was like, he had no, he was, he was the hardest person to try to enroll. And I thought he would have just come because it was his sons. Uh, but you could see how, how much ingrained it was that like, that was like a scary place to go be somewhere and share and open up. Yeah. I mean, I think that the world's changing a lot around us, which is great. Like we're sitting here talking about this right now, like our father's generation you talk about the shutting off of emotions like that was yeah. that was like the origin story you know i mean coming back from the baby boomers a lot of ptsd it was just a very different time and yeah. we're seeing a lot of that stuff start to boil up now and we have so much more access than we ever have to alternative uh, ways of thinking and, and just data which is both a gift and a curse yeah but i think something that's really interesting and um, this is an entire topic in itself, but like one of the big things that I, that I see when we talk about, like, we don't ask our dads or our moms about their lives. The reality is like, we don't ask a lot of people about their lives because we get these snapshots of it on social media. And so we make these assumptions about the car or the success and we make up our own stories about yeah. what we think their lives are. Yeah. And that's created a lot of disconnection in, in the world that we live in today both for men and women. And, uh, and that's something I've been off of social media now for a few years and it's the, one of the better things that I've ever done. Uh, I actually have to ask you how you're doing now. I have to call you. I have to pick up the phone. Yeah. It is versus liking your photo on Instagram, you know? And, and if we can't do it with our, our friends and well, one, if we can't do it with ourselves and we can't touch into it, we can't hold space for ourselves. How do we hold space for our family? How do we hold space for our friends? And, uh, and that I think is such an important thing that's missing right now is just the curiosity of like, well, how are, how are you doing? How are you actually doing? How are you feeling? What yeah. do you feel? Yeah. And most guys, we don't even know how to answer that. Right. Yeah. We say good. Yeah. We say good. We say fine. Right. There's all these I've had some really cool experiences. Like I think of myself as someone who does know how to answer those questions and, and does know how to communicate really well and goes a level further. But I was recently at, a, at an experience where a woman was like, how are you feeling? Like, how are you feeling right now? And it was, we were deep into some like spiritual kind of growth. And I was like, I'm fine. And she just stood there and looked at me and paused. And I, I kind of wasn't sure where I was at. And she was like, do you want to say more? 
And I would just got present to how simple that question was, right? Like that none of us ask that how often are we like, how are you? What's going on for you? And people are like, oh, everything's good. Everything's fine. You know, whatever. And we don't actually ask that. Well, will you say more? Will you like tell me? Because you didn't tell me anything when you said good or fine. You know, you basically are like, I don't want to answer your question is what you're really saying. Um, or, or rather that I, I don't know, like I'm actually sure off. like I, I'm in that box and like, I'm not accessing it. Yeah. yeah and so the, the question of like, is there more to that? Like, would you like to tell me more is something my wife and I use that as an exercise all the time of we'll tell each other something I I'm. I was, I'm angry that you did this thing, or I'm happy that you did this thing. And rather than just taking that for face value, just asking like, oh, well, like, thank you. Like, is there, is there more to that that you want to share? And it's like, yeah, I've been seeing you do this continuously over time or this other thing, but, but getting beyond the surface to that, the meat of the feeling of the continuous action, whatever it is. Like once again, going back to being the first person in the room, like it's scary to ask for more and to have to ask yourself, well, what am I actually feeling right now? Like that's a hard thing to do. And I don't know if you experienced this, but I early on in in connection with my emotion, it was like working out. I would be done talking about my emotions for five minutes. I'd be like, I'm ready to go to bed for the day. Like it's a lot. I do. I do experience that a lot. I notice that when I'm, I also don't know how to sit with it, you know, and I, part of, part of it is like, I think just conditioning as, as a boy into a man being like a young athlete, like the world of like constantly being hyper-stimulated, you know, when I sit down with Evan and we're talking about something we're sharing feelings or whatnot, it's like, I need to be like throwing the dog toy. I need to be like, I'll, I'll do, I'll like lie on the ground and do a plank. I'll like move around. Right. I just like have to be moving. And if we're just sitting still, it is so, it's so tiring and takes so much of me to like hold that focus. And I think it's a both and, right? Like some of it is the uncomfortableness and the lack of practice. And some of it is we've been conditioned to do, 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 action, action, action. Um, But yeah, I feel you. There's times where I'll be like, are we done? (laughs) Can we, can we be done having this? Uh, and look, it, it, I think the challenge for, for me, for you, for men is, can we stay in a little bit longer every time? Just a little bit longer, right? Can I, can I cry a little bit longer than I, than versus like packing it all back in? Can I allow the anger to come out a little bit longer? Can I allow the joy to last a little bit longer? And then, you know, or even like the conversation last a little bit longer. Um, and it just takes practice. It's really just like anything else. Yeah, it takes a ton of practice. And it's uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you, let me just ask you, so what are your, as we kind of wrap up, what are some of your favorite tips or routines or practices? Um, and you can you can go as far as you want, but like in terms of taking care of yourself, your relationship and and, and your businesses. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, and this is really important. Once again, going back to the beginning of this, um, 
these things permeate them, uh, in themselves in different ways for different people, anxiety, depression, et cetera. But for me, turns out that I'm a pretty anxious person, when, specifically when I wake up in the morning. Like I wake up with anxiety nine out of 10 days. Mm. And some days it's worse than others. But for me, if you, if you look at my life five years ago, it really, even if you look at my life three years ago, I used to wake up, I used to get that hit of anxiety, and I used to just start working immediately. 6 a.m., be up, be at the office by 7.30. I would have wanted to go work out, but I'd tell myself, like, nope, like, you need to go get this done. Doing this is going to make you feel better. And, and now I've, I've really, t with the help of some of my mentors, actually taken a step back, and I work out every single day. My wife and son and I go for a four-mile walk every single day. Wow which is where we connect with ourselves. We talk about what's going on that day. We talk about our emotions. Um, it's all about being present and grounded. And then I do some other form of workout. I'll typically do like cardio or I'll do physical activity. And on days where I do that alone, nothing else, I can handle so much more than if I decide to skip that step and just go immediately into work. And so that's piece number one. The second one is, and like going back to men's group, I call somebody every single morning and I just talk to them and see what's going on in their world. And the amount of, of insight that I gain from just connecting with, whether it's my brother or whether it's a good friend of mine, whether it's somebody who I haven't talked to in a long time, just being able to have human to human connection before I go into work yeah. really grounds me. And then the last one that I, I would say actually goes back to, to routine and, and discipline with working out, but something that I never gave myself permission to have was boundaries. Like mm. I have boundaries in my personal life and I have boundaries in my work life. And so like, I know that I'm going to work out in the morning and I'm going to get that in. And if for some reason I'm not able to, maybe Liam's sick and I have to put it into later in the day, Liam's my son. Like, I know that I'm going to make time for myself to do that because it's important. Yeah. Right? And if that means that I'm not going to take that, the 6 p.m. meeting and I'm going to push that to the next day, like, I know that that's not going to make or break my business. What I do know is going to make or break my business is where I'm at mentally, where I'm at physically. Because if I'm not able to show up and be present, it doesn't matter if I'm taking 10 meetings a day. Like, I'm not my best self. Yeah. And so, like, when we... We as, we as business people or business-minded people oftentimes talk about, like, what are our goals? You know, like, what are your goals for this year? And there are obviously things that I want to have happen on the business front, but, like, I have a singular goal. It's be present as often as possible, and it's as simple as that. And by being present as often as possible, like, I can generate the financial outcomes that I want. I can do the things in my business that I want. I can be the husband that I want, and I can be the father that I want. And so those are the biggest things for me. And like, if I, if I take down a note on anything on a daily basis, it was zero or one. Was I present today or not? And that really shapes how, how I view things today. Thanks for all that. Thanks for sharing all that. And that takes like a lot of commitment, right? To go on a, to just, to, just the walking piece, yeah. right? Just to do that takes a lot of commitment. I talk to men all the time about, 
actually Evan shared this with me. She was, she was with somebody, a woman the other day. And the woman was like, wait, you do a check-in with your, with Alex? Like, like, I forget what she, I forget, like we used to do it once a week. And I think now we're doing it like once a month. Cause once a week just felt like at where we are, we didn't need it. And the woman was like, like a progress, like a, like a performance review. And we were like, well, we don't think of it as a performance review, but we take a moment, we take time to like check in and see how things are going and in a very structured way. And how could we not, right? If your relationship's important to you, you would, you do check-ins in your business. If you're yeah. committed to fitness, you do check-ins in your fitness. So how can you not do it? And I hear like in your walk, you, it, it, it there's, there's some of that in there, but it takes that commitment to have the relationship you want or to have the lifestyle you want. Yeah. Well, a couple of, a couple of things. If you can't invest in yourself, you can't invest in other people. Like you can do things for other people, but like, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not holding space for yourself, you're not holding space for others. And then going into that, just, uh, just, um, um, really like affirm what you were just saying as well. Like being able to do those check-ins is everything. Like when we're on those walks, we ask ourselves a couple of basic questions and it starts with actually an affirmation. We say, we point out something that we've noticed about the other person that we appreciate. And it starts out with, how are you feeling? What do you need from me? And what do you hope for like today and tomorrow? Yeah. And being able to have those types of things. And I ask that I ask those questions on the, my daily call as well that I was telling you about, like what's going on in your world? How are you feeling? And like, the reality is that is, that is the connection. Like something that, that I realized from the first half of my relationship is like, we were, although on the outside, we looked perfect in so many ways, like we weren't actually authentically connecting in a lot of these different areas. And that can lead to resentment that can lead to, uh, um, what's the word, uh, like self-sabotage in a variety of ways, whether it's financial, um, there's a, there's a bunch of different ways that it can. And so the reality is, is like, that's one of the, one of the biggest things as well is, is being able to live authentically access those emotions and, and be able to help others to access those emotions through those types of exercises as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like right there with you in it. If you're not doing it, it's like the emotion. It's like there's going to be an explosion at some point. Um, the reality is, is your partner or your friend or your parent might not be ready. To, like my dad is a great example. I'd ask him for a long time, how, are you, how do you feel about this? And he'd start to pontificate on a, on a story. And it's like, no, that's not how you feel. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you feel about this? And the reality is, is some people aren't there yet and that's okay. But if you keep opening up and you keep yeah. living authentically, eventually that rubs off on people. My dad's a great example. Like yeah, I, can, I, think I get emotions out of him today. And I think like, if you keep doing it, it's like, you're the light post or you're the lighthouse. You keep shining a way that it can look different. You know, I know I, I feel that way with like my brother my brother doesn't do a lot of like personal development work. And, you know, he said to me at Christmas, he was like, I was trying to think about how you, you try to like anchor into things are always going to work out. How can I like lean into like things are going to work out regardless of how they go. Right. It doesn't, it's not about winning or losing. It's like, it still works out. And I was like, oh man, that's so cool. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not making him do anything. He's not right. But it's like, because of who I'm being, he saw something for himself, which is really awesome. Yeah. Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for 
being willing to come on here. Thanks for being willing to share and be vulnerable. And let me tell people about, you know, you taking your bulletproof vest off and share your emotions and your feelings. Um, thanks for sharing your life and your family and your successes and your challenges. Is there anything you want to say to leave the like last word? Anything you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I would just say, I would say that just leaving it, like I, I remember before I started doing my own work and I'd, I'd hear people talk and say, well, you know, like, that's not me, you know, like I get it, but like, I don't think that emotions are going to benefit me. I just encourage people to explore and be curious, like ask yourself today as you're, you're driving home or as you're sitting here listening to this, like, well, what am I feeling right now at this moment? Like, where am I at? Am I, am I angry? Am I elated with excitement or can I not feel anything at all? And I, I think that just asking, merely asking the question is the beginning of the journey is what is, what am I feeling right now? And the right, the answer that you give yourself is the right answer, whether it's, I feel nothing or I feel excitement or I feel sadness. And like, that's how, that's how one begins that journey. Like, that's the beauty of it. Like they're all, they're all relevant. And so, yeah, just ask yourself, be curious. Yeah, there is no wrong answer, however you're feeling. But if we don't ask the questions, we have no idea. And most of us just aren't even asking the questions. Yeah. Right. We're not even asking. I love it to go back to that. Like, I really hear that. And I never asked what my relationship was like with my dad or why it was like the way that it was. When I started to go, what's my relationship with my dad? Oh, it's not very connected. Why? Then I was like, Oh, I could see my role in that, right? It wasn't like a, it was his fault, but yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. Ask questions, get curious. I think that's what's great about podcasts is people often are listening to like someone like you and they're like listening, but you could actually flip it and you could be like hearing my questions to you and answering them for yourself. Yeah. And if you get stuck, you have someone like you that you can go and listen, oh, that's what he meant. But that's my favorite part is listening to the questions that are asked. Cause then I can check in with, I can ask those questions to myself. Yeah. Um, I know you don't have social media. So if, if people want to learn more about you or is that something they can do, is there a place they should go? Or is it kind of like, nope, you are here and uh, maybe we'll have you back one day. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd say that everyone's always tr uh, trackable in some way, shape or form. You can Google people pretty easily these days. Um, but I'd say, yeah, if anyone wants to connect and just chat, like I, I'm very passionate about talking about this stuff. And if you want to, to share your own journey or, or ask questions, like you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. And uh, fairly easily. Yeah. Cool. Bill, thank you again for being here. Thanks for sharing your journey. To everyone listening, please share this with someone in your life that can make a difference for. I'm sure there's a man in your life that hearing some of these things can make a difference for. Um, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. This is the Dream Mason podcast and I'm Alex Terranova and I'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.